You're about to view an episode of Sites on Ed Tech, Zanichelli Ventures interview series with people from the education technologies world. I'm your host, Luigi Morino, and in this episode, I interviewed Robin Delang, founder and director of the Virtual Reality Learning Lab. Robin is also a lecturer at Leiden University, where he teaches the honors class Learning Through Virtual Reality. He has extensive experience in promoting the use of VR in schools and organizations. So I asked him to share his experience on the challenges and opportunities of using VR in education. Here is the interview. So I'm very happy to be speaking to Robin today. Thank you for joining us, Robin. Yeah, thank you for, thank you for inviting me. It's, uh, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. So. Uh, first of all, could you explain uh, what uh, the Virtual Reality Learning Lab is? Yeah, so what we do a lot is I fills in a, it falls in a few pillars. I, I think we help schools and other organizations who want to use virtual and a bit of augmented reality uh, to innovate their teaching, innovate their e-learning. Uh, and... Um, we do we help them okay what's already out there how can what which tools can we use to develop our own uh, e-learning uh, what tools can what applications can we use to uh, start implementing already can we challenge our own can we challenge our students to uh, create a 3d or vr experiences themselves and that sort of leads to a second pillar where we um, yeah where we teach students uh, digital skills for the future ourselves. So we have a, a pool of teachers who go to a lot to primary school or high school or vocational education. And we teach them how to create 3D worlds, how to, how to code, how to uh, work with 360 cameras, and perhaps also some, some micro bit and ro robotics in, uh, in the curriculum. So that's sort of the, the second pillar. And, and then we're also, we're, we're, we're creating our own prototypes doing, we're continuously doing research. And yeah, as the field sort of becomes more mature, we're, uh, we're doing, we're now starting more uh, development programs. Uh, we, we develop more uh, applications ourselves as well. Yeah, uh, so I've been uh, really wanting to talk to you because uh, few people like you have, uh, uh, this much experience in actually seeing what rolling out VR and XR uh, in education, in schools, on field is like. Uh, you run this quite uh, interesting model of having your group of teachers who uh, then um, are basically um, uh, sent out to schools, right? To uh, run these programs uh, with the kids to, uh, teach them with VR yeah. and XR. And this is one, this is, that's one yeah, that, that's one part of our organization that has grown quite a lot over the um, over the past years. Yeah, there's there's quite a teacher shortage in the Netherlands and we're uh, and computer science education is is horrible uh, is horrible over here. And that's something we, we cared about, uh, at least I cared about for, for many, many years now. And we sort of combined those things and we have our own group of substitute teachers where we solve a pro an, an acute acute problem for schools and we also help them to yeah to prepare students for the for the future why um, do you think why do you think computer science education is uh, not so good in the netherlands i mean uh, usually uh, uh, 
Southern European countries look up to Northern European countries when it comes to IT uh, education within schools. So uh, it's uh, on one side a little surprising to hear you say that. Yeah, it, it also it surprises me as well. I, my my dad used to call used to do used to explain things often with the remende voorsprong. So you're 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 ahead of the field, but it actually slows you down. And I think that's something we you definitely see in the Netherlands. Our education is our public education is 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 considering worldwide top notch. I I guess. But it's so good that we don't really feel the stress. So, so you, you, for example, you see Eastern European countries where they say, this is our way to progress our knowledge uh, economy. We have to teach the students the, the skills for the future. And yeah, we've sort of been in the luxurious position where, we, where we're already quite quite comfortable. And that's, that's not always the best basis for, for changing things. I understand this. I uh, ran an interview with uh, Monica Katkut from uh, Teachers Lead Tech. Uh, which uh, is uh, being utilized uh, enormously in Lithuania. I think she was saying she has 40% uh, of primary schools in uh, Lithuania uh, in order to upskill teachers technologically. Uh, and these are public schools uh, that are directly investing in uh, uh, upskilling teachers so that they can uh, 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 push forward this knowledge to uh, students. But uh, your model is very interesting of having your own teachers dispatched to schools. Now, uh, can you tell... Yeah, it's, yeah. yeah sure. go ahead. Can you tell a little bit about this model? What, uh, how do they go into schools? Uh, how do they partner with local teachers? And what kind of exercises do they run? Yeah, so, um, yeah, this has grown quite a lot and it's... It, Two years ago, our, our biggest form of income was training teachers uh, in, in the Netherlands, but also internationally. But yeah, COVID wasn't really, that, that didn't help the whole events business, uh, just doing workshops. Yeah, I, I have to bring VR headsets. People need to try those things. And I actually, uh, yeah, so doing that online is actually pretty hard. Uh, and, and teachers were completely uh, burned out uh, with their kids at home. So it was training. I think the whole field of training wasn't in the best place. Uh, hasn't been in the best place for the couple of, uh, for the last couple of years. So we sort of we were sort of driven to 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 focus more on this uh, on this part of our organization. Um, and yeah, so we fo we work a lot with with CoSpaces, for example, CoSpace EDU, a Dutch a, a German company. Uh, I, we really love their product uh, and we teach kids how to create 3d worlds uh, how to code with them using sort of scratch like uh, coding blocks and how they can use it in vr and we also teach them about virtual reality and where it's used for and how just how the buttons how, how stuff works uh, how you could learn how you can learn uh, with vr uh, in different ways and yeah we also try to so we we don't have too much we we, we we are quite. We have a lot of autonomy, which I really like. I guess uh, so. We we do uh, we do we we try to collaborate a bit with 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 the teachers from the schools to uh, to for example, they make a virtual museum about uh, about a school about a team that the school is currently involved in. So there we collaborate with uh, with the teachers uh, uh, with their with their normal teachers. Yeah. Are, are the kids creating the virtual museums or are the, yeah? Yeah. 
So how yeah. do they do this? On uh, what platform do they do this? And uh, uh, how's, the, how's the actual activity? Yeah, so again, Ghostbase is uh, EDU. We're, we're using them most of, most of the times. Um, yeah, it's um, it's perfectly doable for them to to create a museum where you and you can. They also make it interactive. So when you click on a, so perhaps they're doing I don't know about the about the First World War or something, and they hang out paintings and sources, and they find a custom three D model they upload, and then you can make it interactive that you click on something and or perhaps you have a guide who who, who shows you around in the museum uh, and and. That's, that maybe takes one or two days uh, to, to, to create something like that. It also, of course, depends on, on the age and, 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 and skill level of the students. But what are the longest programs that you run in schools? So I think the maximum is usually a, sort of the equivalent of a five-point course in, 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 university, in university terms. So uh, perhaps, uh, I don't know, 300 study hours or something like that okay 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 and uh, how about uh, teachers in school uh, how how do they react to the um uh, the courses you run in the schools should i call them more like courses or seminars is it more like a continuous uh, class or is it more like a one-off uh, kind of class no it's often so it often starts off as one-off because again we're so we're sort of replacing teachers in, the, in this model uh, so it's really when some when, when a teacher is sick or in quarantine or whatever, uh, then then we get asked to to fill in. Uh, but you often come back again, so you have to sort of be prepared for. Okay, we've already been to this class and we're coming there next time. So it's 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 usually it starts off as a one-off workshop. They're all all the workshops have to be have to be they have to be uh, finished at the end of the day. But then we we build on the we continue during in the next sessions we continue on the skills that they're uh, that they're working with. Ah, yeah. interesting. Okay, and uh, how do teachers usually relate to this once uh, teachers are back, but you're still running uh, uh, projects inside the classroom? Are you able to engage them in the uh, easily engage them and uh, make them participate in uh, the in uh, running the seminar uh, yeah. with kids? Yeah. So we sort of so we, we I, I come to i visit a lot of schools and usually there there's a bit of a divide between the schools where we go and we teach the trainers that we, we train that sorry we train the teachers so th those teachers want to they they're really working on innovating themselves and they're they're improving themselves they're starting they're innovating their uh, their uh their education and that's usually they're usually in a different mindset than the than the schools where we come and actually we do the entire program. You have schools who really want to innovate themselves, and you have schools who say, "Okay, let's let we'll fly in a company and let them do it. let them do it." It's yeah. a bit of a different relationship you have then. So uh, something I discussed uh, with uh, Anarupa Ganguly, uh, CEO of uh, Prisms of Reality, uh, was whether. Uh, Headsets, the hardware part of VR uh, makes uh, implementing uh, education in VR uh, in schools harder because uh, schools don't have headsets necessarily uh, and uh, might not be able to spend the money to acquire them. Do you think that there is a hardware problem or do you agree with Anarupa that 
there is not a hardware problem and it is a lower level problem uh, that can easily be solved uh, as long as teachers and schools uh, have a good reason to use VR in, uh, in education. Yeah, I, I think I would agree with that. Um, so yes, hardware isn't perfect yet, but there are definitely uh, other larger uh, bottlenecks in this situation. And they're not always that easily to solve. So, so one thing perhaps I want, uh, want to address is that there's something in general about about uh, uh, the adaptation about to virtual reality is that it doesn't. Um, it you really have to try it to to really experience what it's like. And that's already different. Uh, augmented reality experiences tend to oversell in on uh, when you see a video, and VR experiences undersell by by a mile by a mile. It's really oh, and, and I've I've given a VR demos to I don't know perhaps thousands of people, and they're also it, it's much it's way more intense than I than I imagined it to be. So that yeah you so you you it it sort of the idea spreads one headset at a time so that's that's one fundamental thing in why uh, why vr adoption perhaps has been has been hasn't been as fast as as people expected a few years ago uh, and then the whole, so that's one thing so you have to try it yourself and then you have to teach teachers have to uh, have to think oh this is oh this this is interesting oh this is something you can learn you can learn through vr as well Oh, and I could use this for my students to do this and this. Yeah, that that that, that whole process takes time, uh, okay, because then the next step is okay. How how do I fit that? Then what what kind of application would I choose? How do I fit this didactically in my uh, in my lesson plan? That's all. That that takes a lot of time for teachers to to go through that process. And um, yeah, so that that's the that's the largest. To, to bring mm -hmm. that whole didactical uh, the didactical approach of teachers and, and technology and bring that together that yeah. that just takes that takes the time investments yeah I, I suppose that's uh, that speaks to the difference between um, developing a couple of uh, VR uh, uh, applications that are uh, edutainment uh, educational entertainment so one uh, uh, particular experience that, is mostly a game that has some educational aspect, and that's one thing. Uh, but it's very different to develop a whole instructional uh, uh, design, a whole uh, educational path uh, that is also in bits and pieces uh, taught through uh, VR or XR, or, or perhaps the whole educational path, uh, but uh, with greater educational aims than just creating a game in VR that has some educational aspects to it. The, the latter uh, is uh, much more complicated to do. Um, how how the, have the you letter is The latter is more complicated to do to, to really create a complete uh, education educational could you, could path you... as opposed to uh one uh, uh one vr game that has uh, yeah. some education aspect to it yeah yeah i definitely agree so and that's also you see most of the innovation at least over the past year past uh, five years or something you've seen a lot of innovation coming actually from the gaming industry from the from the creators uh who 
who show okay we can we, we, edutainment we can create valuable edutainment uh, applications but to really make it make it fit into a, a, a into a lesson plan that's um, yeah that's that's uh, that's a that's a way larger ch challenge with a much smaller audience and yes. yeah does the business does the business case still hold then is it is it worth to invest all the time yes yes yeah. yes and just yeah especially for teachers they they don't have that much time to put into uh they're no. already pr quite overworked as they are right so yeah but yeah and teachers shouldn't so what what's the skill at what skill does the business model work that that's often the question so is it uh I, you see a lot of innovation happening at school on the school level or perhaps uh, a community of 10 schools and they're trying to they they've received some sort of grant some sort of subsidy to innovate and they're trying to build something okay that's that's interesting an interesting way of learning but uh, i think the most successful vr training applications operate at a global scale uh, and require millions of investments um, and you can only really make that work if you have if you if you work on a global scale at this moment so I, yeah the netherlands is the netherlands is too small to make your to make your fully operational vr simulator uh, uh be able to make a profit yeah come organizations like simics and so these medical simulators um which is becoming really a, a a mature a mature field they have working simulations and you can add your own you can add your own scenarios and they operate at a, at a global scale and and you really need it because it's it's uh such an um and it, it requires so much investing to 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 create realistic uh, realistic scenarios which are fully interactive. Um, I, I was thinking I, I'm I'm really impressed about those simulation uh, medical simulator uh, companies. So what have you found that is then the breakthrough uh, with teachers to uh, com both convince them I guess, uh, but also allow them to realize that it is feasible to include. Uh, uh, VR as a tool for uh, teaching in schools. What do you think is the breakthrough uh, moment and the breakthrough way? Yeah, so a few things. So you can, we're, we're, I'm talking about now about global scale simulators, but there are also really smaller things you can, you can use things that are not made for education, but you can still use them in your lessons. There's There are plenty of 360 videos on YouTube. You have the entirety of, uh, of of Google Maps, uh, Google Street View to your to your uh, position. You have all, or, or Google, or you could use, perhaps you could use Google Earth during during geography lessons. Is Google Earth made for education? No. Is it interesting? You can bring students to any any possible place in the world. Yeah, that's pretty uh, pretty interesting to give your lessons context, I guess. So if you if you choose material well and and not expect that the the vr application um sort of covers your entire curriculum but only a small part of it giving the, you have only one goal bringing showing students something immersing them in a, a certain situation to give them context to the learning material that's 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 not hard that's not hard that's not expensive that's you don't need a, a, a whole lot for that you can you can use uh, uh cardboard headsets for it even so that's one that's one thing that makes things a lot easier, I think. 
And the other thing is, yeah, it's it's often very interesting to challenge students to to create something themselves, and that's that's easier. And you can teach, you can already check all the learning goals. Okay, they teach, they learn digital skills, then they uh, they learn how to deal with a new technology, and they need to analyze the technology to really see okay what sets this apart from from other media so there's you can cover a lot of learning goals in that process and that for as a teacher yeah you you have teachers all have the challenge okay i have to i have to discover how everything works yeah you can also let your students do the do the legwork there i guess yeah I was listening to a part of uh, the WISE conference uh, a couple of months ago, uh, and someone was mentioning, uh, one of the hosts was mentioning uh, how uh, digital experiences can allow us to bring kids uh, back to the Renaissance for a history class and make them relive what it was actually like, uh, yeah. having such uh, great uh, immersive experiences. Um, now, from the games I've played on my headset, uh, I feel like uh, the technology is already completely there. It's uh, totally possible. So what do you think is hindering this kind of experience from being adopted in uh, learning curricula and being deployed at scale in uh, schools uh, throughout the Netherlands and, uh, uh, and uh, abroad? Yeah. yeah that's, does the business case work? That's the, that's the main thing, I guess. So uh over the past years it was there was still this vicious circle okay so uh, uh, a lot of schools didn't really want to buy headsets because there was not a lot of content they could directly use yet uh, and developers were, were lagging behind because yeah there's not really a market we can sell to so that's that's whatever with any technology with any new platform that's the sort of hurdle it has to take um and really creating an educational game with the standards we have of games that it's it's a multi-million dollar project and um and so so you see again you see it work in some in some uh, circles so again medical simulation that's a high budget high budget application where also with teachers uh, with 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 students and professionals around the world, everybody needs to learn anatomy. Uh, so you have these anatomy uh, applications. Those are business cases that work. In history, it's <laughs> it's it's harder. Yeah, it's it's hard to create a game like that, and it's 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 a hard sell. <laughs> we'll, we'll see especially. those popping up. Yeah, 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 yeah. I I I think the business case uh, for sure is. Uh... <laughs> Um, yeah, that's yeah, that's the, that's the challenge making the business case work, and yeah. and it's also it, it, so one thing I'm often frustrated by is at least in the Netherlands I see okay how much how much money is being spent on learning material yet it's usually three percent or something, and the the, the the large part goes to a very large part goes to teachers rightfully so, but yeah the three percent was for. Uh, was when when you when you only had books as study material now you have digital apps and you have all these adaptive software and the the budget for learning material hasn't really increased and now we're creating complete 3d worlds you can immerse yourself in and yeah you have to we have to find a new balance between how much do we uh how much do we spend on learning material and how much do we spend on teachers but that's 
that's always that's a sensitive topic yeah yeah and speaking of which um it makes me think about how do you get in touch with schools uh how do you get in touch with teachers who calls you up uh, uh or or do you reach out to them uh in order to uh, run the training and uh uh seminar programs that you run in schools yeah. with uh, how many teachers do you have by the way uh 50, 18 or something yeah and and how many schools do you work with uh so these 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 schools where we do um where we actually where te our teachers go to that's about two or three hundred or something and yeah teachers we've had at uh, um, so we've we've done tons of training at hundreds of schools, and we've had people from uh, from the Netherlands, but also internationally, people from the University of Rio de Janeiro, from uh, for all sorts of it, it. That makes I love my job because of that. Uh, just immersing yourself briefly into into the professional life of somebody else and and seeing how you can how you can help them. So I'll go um, back to my question: How do you get in touch with uh, yeah. all of these? Yeah we spend all sorts of ways how can we we spend a lot of time on how can we reach people uh, so i think the basis of that is content marketing just writing stuff we find interesting sharing it through social media through newsletters and uh and gaining traction by that um but we do also do yeah do they usually reach out to you or are you you trying to reach out to teachers directly or, yeah, or school we, directors i don't know we've almost never done any cold calling or something but we do yeah just usual social media ads google ads sometimes a, a printed magazine um but yeah so we've because of i've done so but because i've given so many workshops and so many online events and then you um yeah, you you build up uh, an, an audience so now we we have to, we have to spend a bit less time on 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 building the audience. That's I like that. Um, so uh, I've asked you a lot about the programs you run in schools, but uh, that's definitely not the only thing that you do at the uh, VR Learning Lab. Would you like to tell us a bit more about uh, the other projects uh, you uh, have undertaken throughout time? Yeah. So one project we could perhaps I could perhaps share a bit about and. Shall I share my yeah, screen yeah, a bit? Yeah, definitely. Please yes, do. Other. Now it's only talking heads. That's not... Uh, let's practice what we preach a bit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so this is a, a, a workshop we, we've been offering for the past few years. Um, we, did, we, we weren't developing for this. This was uh, made by Studio Opfis and together with Karen Anema. She's a, she's a writer and had a friend who... Um, yeah, went uh, who, who was having a, 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 a psychotic episodes, and she wrote a book about it, quite intense book. And then they they collaborated to create a, a, a VR experience about this uh, about the episodes he about experiences he had. And he was a the the the, the client the the person was a, a very uh, talented uh, painter as well. So they had a lot of uh, uh, inspiration they could tell they could they could use for that and yeah what i often so th this was uh sort of 
application, a, a VR experience that was part of a festival. Well, why, well, I, I often think that's a shame that you have all these beautiful, uh, uh, really rich VR experiences that visit four festivals and then the subsidy is, uh, is gone and you never hear from the, you never hear from it again. So here we tried, okay, can we form this into a workshop and uh, sell this to uh, psychiatric uh, institutions, to hospitals, to uh, social work studies, to, yeah, we've all, over the years, we have had dozens of organizations where this really made an impact with people. People who actually work with, with psychiatric patients said, okay, I'm going, I'm going to do my work really differently from now on because they could empathize with with what people with what their clients might be going through yeah what, so this was a um, mm -hmm. can you tell us uh, the details about the experience uh, or what happens inside the experience yeah so the experience is about you, you follow the uh, psychotic episode a, a, a psychotic episode of tom the the the, lead, the main character uh, he's he's also the voiceover and it's about him losing control and the visuals become, you start out in his room and it, it starts distorting and it's, yeah, it's quite a visual, a visual trip. Um, but the whole experience is like 12 minutes or something, but the whole, the workshop is two and a half hours. So it's not only about the experience. It's also about, okay, so what, what did, how, what did people experience? What, how, how did, how did it make them, how did it make them feel? Could, can you, uh, it also, it's it's a way you start a conversation. How does this? How will this affect the work that you do? How do you will you approach clients uh, differently? And here, yeah, you really have people who, who say, yeah, this this changes my outlook uh, to certain clients completely. Um, and that's yeah, that's. Um, that's this is very very interesting, actually. Um, the application on the workplace of. Uh, uh, VR learning. Uh, do you have uh, other projects that you would like to tell us about or other of your services that you've uh, uh, run yeah. throughout time? Yeah, so over, so we, one thing that, that uh, we're becoming more and more focused on is, so virtual reality, it has a place in our, in, in society and it's, it will grow, but it's not something that I don't think I will be wearing I don't even wear VR headsets every day. Every day, and sometimes a week goes by and I haven't tried. I haven't done anything in VR, so I, I don't think that that's something that will become really mainstream. Uh, augmented reality, on the other hand, is something that really has the potential to to be something that we that we wear on a daily basis, and that's that's pretty intense. That that changes. It's it's really new to that's that you collaborate with, with, that you, yeah, you augment your own senses, your own experience of the world. Uh, yeah, there are so many ethical, ethical, uh, ethical questions or design questions in there. Will you, will notifications be set to on standard? Is that the standard setting or, um, yeah. So those are questions I often talk about with my students from university, but the past half year, we had two uh, interns, Dan and Sana, who created a, a game. Are you ready? A bit of, sorry for the title there. Uh, <laughs> and it's about the it's about the future with uh, augmented reality. It's still in Dutch, but I'll show a few. Um... Yeah, please. Yeah. 
so it's it's about a day in the life with uh, uh, wearing wearing AR headset. So you you wake up. And you have this AR assistant, which you completely, so it first helps you to, uh, to do certain tasks uh, before you can leave the door, before you can leave the school. But here it already becomes a bit more controversial. Uh, or, so here it, it gives you information about what kind of uh, breakfast. Uh, it helps you making choice, how, many, how much sugar is in the hummus or in the... Uh, chocolate sprinkles so it helps you making in making the right decisions and we asked uh, students then what what do they so we gave them these these dilemmas and yeah what would they what what would they say if uh, uh, an ar headset would help them make the the healthy uh, the healthy decision so this was really this was played by 17000 students in the end i think Wow. And they all, uh, yeah, so there was a sort of, uh, there was a research link to it. Or here, this, this scenario scenario is about, okay, at first it starts up with snap filters in real life. So now we have a dog face on, on every, everybody has a dog face on, on their face. And here then you... Yeah, you play, somebody sends you a Minecraft challenge and you get you get uh, chased by creepers and this scene ends in you walking on the street while the traffic light is on is, is, is red and yeah the suggestion is that you get hit by a car uh, and then yeah then the question is should we allow for uh for should ar headsets be allowed during uh, in traffic or should they be uh, yeah should we have to say similar rules as we have with smartphones so we try to ask students these kinds of uh, ethical dilemmas let me show one more example so here this is an example i i, I really like it's about uh, it's not about really how we should learn uh how how ar how AR headsets change how we learn, but it could also change change what we should learn. So here you're on the playground and you're uh, speaking to this uh, Japanese girl. Starts speaking to you. So you can't hear what she's actually saying, talking about. And the AR assistant uh, detects that she's speaking Japanese, and she gets uh, instant subtitles. Well, this this, this is not a very uh, exotic uh, example. This is something that will that that will become when we have AR working AR headsets. Yeah, the technology for this is already here for a large part. Yeah, but we asked the students and the quit. Then the question, should we still spend as much time as we do now learning foreign languages or uh, should we just trust the technology to do that? And I think that's a really intriguing questions. 
uh, intriguing question. Uh, students were quite, were still, the, the largest part of the students still said, of 10-year-old, 11-year-old students said, no, you still need to uh, uh, learn languages because you don't want to be dependent on, on the AR headset. And some of them said, okay, no, this is, uh, it, it's perhaps not as necessary anymore, but it's still fun and interesting to learn a new language. And only, uh, only, 20% or so or 15% said no let's let's stop learning <laughs> let's stop learning french and, and german as we do in, in the netherlands um uh, were these students from uh, leiden university so the interns who made this were from no other breda and tilburg and uh, the, uh, these were interns at uh, the vr learning lab yeah yeah those, those these the interns made the, made the game together with uh, yeah, with Nadine and me, and um, yeah, we and we showed the game was part of the Dutch Week for Digital Literacy and was played yeah seventeen thousand times or something. That was a yeah, it was a, an an interesting project uh, sure. to work on. What do you think the major applications of VR in education are going to be uh, throughout time? I see VR as one of the tools in your tool set for, for a blended learning approach. And I don't really prep, but perhaps I laugh at myself in a few years, but I don't really see uh, education happening entirely through VR headsets. That's That doesn't... Perhaps if we if we have another version of the of, of COVID, and we have a, a an even harder uh, harder lockdown, perhaps. But Please. let's not hope so. Let's not hope. <laughs> Please. <laughs> okay. Um, thanks a lot for all of this. Uh, let me wrap up asking you um, what's uh, coming up at the virtual reality learning lab. Uh, uh, are there any things that uh, you would like to mention that uh, our listeners should be looking out for. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So what I pre so I, I've showed a bit about this. Uh, 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 Are you ready? Game, a sort of speculative design game about the future with AR headsets, and we're making a new version of that, and it's going to be international, and it's going to be focused on a bit more grown-up audience, not only for eleven-year-olds and yeah, we're looking for organizations to collaborate with this, perhaps student, perhaps teachers who want to show this to their students or uh, media companies who, who are who have a, a larger reach. Uh, uh, this is uh, something we, we do largely voluntarily uh, and we need help to reach uh, more people and give more input to the scenarios. Yeah. Okay, great. Um... Thank you. Thank you for sharing all of your experience with us today, Robin. Uh, I really appreciate the amount of uh, uh, direct experience that you have on field on uh, uh, utilizing and uh, spreading uh, VR and AR uh, for education purposes with schools and organizations. So thank you for sharing all your uh, knowledge and experience with us. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for inviting me. Uh, and great that you could keep up with the uh, diversity of uh, uh, of services we've done, and uh, thank thank you.